Welcome to another inspiring message recorded at Rivers Church. And we're continuing this morning with part two of our series we began last week called Trusting the Promises When Facing Contrary Circumstances. Trusting the Promises When Facing Contrary Circumstances. Circumstances. How many of you know many of us are facing contrary circumstances in our lives? And if you aren't, you can expect it in the next while. Because circumstances will always shout sometimes louder than the promises of God. How many of you know we're struggling in our world to trust people? Because people let us down. But we've got to be careful because of the mistrust of people that we don't mistrust God. I was reading the drum magazine, which I don't do often. In fact, I read an article from the drum magazine, the January edition, about a young man called Teddy Kutso Nsani. By the age of 15, both his parents had died, and he was left a little bit of an inheritance. One of his aunts came along and promised that she would take him in and look after him and raise him. Well, little did he know that uh, when she promised to take care of him, she'd take care of his inheritance too. And she began to get him to sign documents which kind of signed over his inheritance without him realizing. And in the end, all he was left with was poverty and pain. His own aunt hadn't kept her promises. I mean, you know, that's discouraging. But it's not uh, rare anymore. People can't trust their own families. They can't trust significant leadership figures, pastors, priests. People have mistrust just generally. We're suspicious as a whole. If you're a visitor on one of our campuses today, you might be sitting there with your arms folded saying, I'm checking everything out. I often see it when people have dedications. Sometimes one of the partners doesn't know Jesus or doesn't go to church, and they come and they watch me very carefully. You can see there's mistrust. In 1992, the Pepsi-Cola company in the Philippines ran a campaign where they offered people who found a certain bottle cap with a certain number, and apparently the number was 349. They said, if you find that number in the bottle gap, you get 1 million pesos, which is 550,000 rand. Well, the problem was the printer who printed the bottle caps inadvertently printed thousands of them. In fact, 800,000 of them. And so when people brought these bottle caps to Coke, they said, no, you need a security code with it. They thought they could wriggle out of it. Well, it started rioting. People rioted so badly that they had to throw grenades. One of the grenades killed a young girl. Talk about a fiasco. In the end, they came to an agreement where they paid each person some 260 rand, and it cost them $10 million, 140 million rand, to get themselves out of the jam. It's easy to make promises when they're self-serving, when it promotes your product. But when it comes to people and benefiting them, we try and wriggle out of it. Thank God that he doesn't make self-serving promises. He makes promises, and when they're expensive, he keeps them. He promised to send his son, and it was expensive. But he sent Jesus, and Jesus paid the price because God never breaks his promises. You can trust him fully. Let me give you a number of things today about the promises of God. Firstly, number one, and we need to act on these things. God's promises are compared to the certainty of natural seasons. So you know the seasons, they come with certainty, spring, summer, autumn, 
and winter, the Bible says that they'll continue till the end of time. And God then says, my promises are like that. As spring follows winter, you can be sure my promises will come. Notice in the Bible in Genesis 8, and this is for all the green people out there. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. God's promised that. So don't panic too much about the planet. Let's be good stewards. It's going to continue until God says it won't continue. But then the Lord says, my promises are like that. Watch this, Isaiah 55. He says, as the rain and snow come down from heaven and stay on the ground to water the earth and cause the grain to grow. That's exactly what we've just read. And to produce seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. So also is my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It shall accomplish all I want it to and prosper everywhere I send it. Always certainty, just like the seasons. When I say something, it'll happen. I say it, then my promise follows. My, my fulfillment follows my promise. So we need to trust God as we trust the seasons. We kind of know that it's cold now and it's going to get colder. Isn't that true? Some of you have been making fire. I put a new fireplace in my house, one of those with a glass door. It's four times as hot as the other one where the heat just went out the roof. So I'm ready for winter, but I'm looking forward to spring. And I know that after spring will come summer and then we'll sit at the pool again. And that's the way it is with God's promises. You may be facing a winter, but summer's coming. Summer's coming. And church, we need to know the promises of God. And how do we know the promises of God? By reading the word of God. Don't rely on church. This 40-minute preach is not enough to give you the promises of God. You need to study. And when you study them, they fill your life. And you can build your life on them because they're something you can build your life on because they're certain. Now, people say, I struggle to find the promises of God in the Bible. Where do you find them? Well, someone did a bit of a study and found that there's 7,487 promises in the Bible. Now, there are 31,173 verses in the Bible. You can see, if you do the math, that almost a quarter of the Bible is filled with promises. If you can't find it, you're not looking in the right place. Don't read Lamentations in the morning. You need to read where the promises are, and they're as certain as the seasons, and you can build your life on them. But if you don't know them, you can't hold on to them. And then circumstances, especially contrary ones, will overwhelm you. The political situation, the economic situation, your physical situation, your mental, your relational issues maybe at work, all these things will overwhelm you, but you've got to have the promises, and you've got to thrust them through the clouds and say, I'm holding on to these. Number two, this is what you need to do if you're going to trust the promises. In contrary circumstances, we must resist fear to embrace the promises. When fear rules, the promises fade. And you have to resist fear. You have to tell yourself, I will not fear. Like Joshua here had to make a decision to trust the promises of God and not allow the fear of giants to invade his soul. Fear dulls our faith and it obscures the promises. And we have to realize this or fear will constantly rule us. A.B. Simpson was a Canadian preacher and he said this, fear is born of Satan. And if we would only take time to think a moment, we would see that everything Satan says is founded 
upon a falsehood. Fear, it's fake things that appear to be real or false evidence appearing real. And you've got to fight fear all the time. When your bank balance is low, when you get retrenched from a job and you feel that void, contrary circumstances to your needs, you need to pay bills, pay your car, you need to say, I'm holding on to the promise of God. My God shall supply all my needs through Christ Jesus. You see, you've got an anchor in the face of contrary circumstances. But if you let fear rise up, what am I going to do? How am I going to pay? Oh, I can't take the strain. Your kids are driving me mad. And then your mother still got needs. And then my friends want to come and eat you. <laughs> no, you've got to just remain calm. You've got to remain calm. I read an article that said that 90% of the people who visit doctors for a physical condition, they've discovered that they don't need tablets, they, don't need, they actually don't have a medical condition. What they're suffering from has come from fear. Psychologists, doctors, and specialists have had a round table, and they've said, you know what, most of these problems where people end up taking tablets, that's why they go from doctor to doctor, getting different kinds of tablets, they go to specialists, it all has its roots in fear. When fear gets into it, it can permeate all of your life, and it can actually cause your performance to drop. And we've got to be very careful, because the first emotion that comes to the surface when you face contrary circumstances is fear. But you've got to look them in the face and say, hey, get back down there. I've got promises to hold on to. And especially when the challenges are big, fear comes. Now there's a passage of scripture in the book of Genesis where Abraham sends out his servant, his senior servant, and he tells him, I want you to find a wife for my son. Some of you in the room and at Santon would know, finding a wife is a challenge. You say finding a husband's a bigger challenge, Pastor Andre. Well, let's see what the text says about finding a partner and what kind of emotions come up. Genesis 24. It says, Abraham was now very old and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant in his household, this is not just some ordinary guy, this is a top man, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. That's kind of under your leg and we won't expound that. It's, it's what they did. You're not allowed to do it. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife from my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am living. But you will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. Now notice what the servant says. The servant asked him, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? You see, he knew what women were like. And he said, I'm... I know that there's a possibility that there can be, but oh, what if she says no? He goes on to say, shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. Now Abraham gives him the answer. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. In other words, don't let your fears rise. There's been a promise. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. You see, as soon as Abraham presents a challenge, like all of us, the what ifs, hmm? 
I'm going for a job interview. What if they say no? No, no, no. We need to say God has promised to meet my needs. And if this job is a closed door, something else better will open. But I'm holding on to the promise. I'm not looking at the unemployment rate. I'm believing God for his promises. You see, I want to explain something to you. When you allow fear to rule you, not only does it cause doubt and it obscures the promises of God, it affects your entire performance. Your, your, your outworking of your life, your living gets affected. You know, they constructed the um, San Francisco Bay Bridge, the Golden Gate Bridge, uh, during the 1930s. 1937, they finished it. And they say it was the longest uh, suspension bridge in the world. It was a massive feat. During the construction of that bridge, something interesting happened. Safety was a very high priority because, as you can see, it's pretty much in, in, the, in the clouds and it's a very high bridge. The mist comes in off the sea. And uh, if you didn't wear your hard hat and attach your cable, you were dismissed. That's how strict they were. But the lead engineer was not happy with that. He decided that they needed to construct nets and they put nets under the bridge as it was being formed. It cost them a lot of money. It was 2 million rand in 1933. I mean, you know, 2 million rand was 2 million rand. You could do a lot with it. Houses at that time in South Africa were like 15,000 rand you could buy. So 2 million, a lot of money. And people asked the question, isn't this a waste of money? Should we be doing this? Couldn't the money be used to fix the bridge? Well, they say you need to ask the 19 men who fell into those nets. Not only that, you need to ask the people who commissioned the bridge because the bridge was finished way ahead of schedule because the men worked without fear. Isn't that interesting? When fear is removed, not only are the promises of God brought to the fore, but we work better, we perform better. So church, we must push fear aside, resist it, and take hold of the promises of God. We will live better, we will honor God, and we'll receive everything he has. We can't stop fear coming to us, but we must deal with it correctly. Max Lucado said this. He said, the presence of fear does not mean you have no faith. Fear visits everyone, but make your fear a visitor and not a resident. Isn't that good advice? Number three, pray and appropriate the promises of God. Don't just read them, pray them. Because when you pray the promises, you're reminding God of what he said not that he needs reminding, you're pretty much reminding yourself of what he said. And when you pray the promises, you know you're praying the will of God. Charles Spurgeon, the great British preacher, said this. He said, the best praying man is the man who is most believingly familiar with the promises of God. After all, prayer is nothing but taking God's promises to him and saying to him, do as thou hast said. Praise the promise utilized. A prayer which is not based on a promise has no true foundation. So find a promise and pray it. When it comes to your health, if you need healing, find a promise and then pray it. When it comes to your finances, find a promise and pray it. When it comes to your marriage, when it comes to your needs, when it comes to the salvation of your relatives, don't have a vague idea. Pray the book of Acts. This is what I do for my oldest son all the time. Acts 16. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. So when I pray, I say, Lord, you said you and your household in Acts 16. So I bring Donovan to you and his family and my grandchildren. And I'm trusting on your promise. I'm not looking at what they say. 
I'm trusting you. Learn to pray the promises. It'll help you remember them. Number four. This is very important. And we'll spend a bit of time here before we get to number five, which is not followed by number six. Are you being helped? Number four, use the promises like a prescription. You see, you don't just know them, you apply them. How many of you know when you're sick, you go to a doctor. The doctor examines you to see what your condition is and you're not well and you're in a, in a, in a weak state. Then they decide, okay, you need this, this for this, this for that, that for that. And then they tell you, go home, take this for that three times a day, take th that for this two times a day, take this one time a day, and you eventually, you're like, you know, yeah. and, then, and then the printing on there is big enough for, for only a, what, a 16-year-old to read, because you need a magnifying glass. Anyway, that's what they tell you to do. Prescription. Do you know the promises of prescription? The book of Proverbs tells us, in Proverbs 3, it tells us that if we build our lives on the word, notice here, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. That's holding onto the, onto the promises of God, the word of God. This will bring what? Health to your body and nourishment to your bones, literally to your soul, to the depths of your being. So whatever condition we're in, emotionally, financially, physically, spiritually, there is a prescription for us that we need to not just know, oh, I've got it. No, we need to take it. And I want to give you an example of doing this. How many realize that as we make the journey of life, if we're not careful, we can fall between the promises of God? The circumstances will engulf us, but we need to stand on the promises of God. So for some of you today, you've got some serious conditions in your life, and I'm going to mention several of them. There's some people that are possibly in this room or in Santon that feel today that they saved. I believed in Jesus. I know him as my savior but maybe today you, your condition is, I feel like I can't go on. I feel like I can't go on. Well, you we need to hold on to the promises of God because the promises of God will, will, will encourage you and enable you to go on. And then, then, then you're, as, as you take that promise, you step into the next and you begin to make your journey. But if you don't know the promises, eventually you'll even lose your salvation. Are you with me? So let me give it to you like this. I can't go on. Well, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 is the promise. Come to me, all of you are weary and heavy laden, and with heavy, carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is, it's all you need. Can you see? When you feel you can't go on, you've got to find a promise. You take that prescription, suddenly you can go on. Are you with me? If today you feel you've got health challenges, you say, Pastor, I've been diagnosed with cancer. Well, what does the Bible say? The Lord says in Exodus, I'm the Lord who heals you. Hold on to that. And then hold on to James, where it says, any one of you sick, call for the senior people in the church. Let them anoint you with oil. And the prayer of faith will heal the sick person. It's a promise. You say, but my condition is getting worse and worse. I have prayed. Well, then you need to take some encouragement from someone, some of you know, a man called Nick uh, he, he says he's got no arms or legs. He says sometimes, even on an hourly basis, we need to keep praying and keep our peace in God and remind ourselves on the promises of God that never fails. If someone without arms or legs can remind you, you say, I'm getting it. No, 
I'm holding on to the promises. Maybe today you feel afraid. I'm just so full of fear of the future, Pastor Ray. We've had crime happen in our family. There's been illness. There's been death. I feel afraid. Well, Psalm 27 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I be afraid? And I love what uh, Alexander McLaren, he's a Scottish pastor, he said this. He said, Only he who can say, The Lord is the strength of my life, can say, Of whom shall I be afraid? Isn't that true? You might say that I feel depressed. And I just can't seem to shake it off. It's been weeks. Well, Nehemiah 8 and verse 10 tells you that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Take that as a prescription. Hmm? Take the medication that's been prescribed and let the joy flow back. You say, well, I feel so weak today. I just feel like I don't have strength. Well, Isaiah 40 says he gives power to the weak and he increases strength to the weary. My faith is fading, Pastor Andre. There's been so many things that have hammered my faith. My relatives have died. There have been accidents. Someone got hijacked that loves the Lord, and they're always in prayer, but they got hijacked. How is that possible? Well, come away from fear. Come away from contrary circumstances. Philippians 1 verse 6, being confident of this, that you began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion. God started with you. He hasn't abandoned you. Just keep trusting him. Maybe you feel worried about so much today. Well, Psalm 55, cast your cares on the Lord. He will sustain you. Hmm? You say, oh, yeah, that's very wonderful. But I'm sitting here. I feel like I'm under attack of the devil. I feel like he's in me, Pastor Andre. Sometimes I wonder when I turn on the TV and I see women on the TV and I'm, Oh, I think Satan lives in me. Well, listen to me today. The promises of God need to be taken. Hear this one. 1 Peter 5 and verse 10. 1 Peter 5 and verse 10. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. You belong to the Lord and he will take care of you. Maybe today you say, I feel like my life is not going to amount to much. I've gone from job to job. At my age, the prospects don't look good. Psalm 103 tells me this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Notice this promise. Uh, who forgives all your sin? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you so good things are still ahead? Hold on to them, believe for them, because even in your 60s and your 70s, he can still do it. You tell me this morning, well, my business is down, Pastor Andre. Well, Deuteronomy is a promise to hold on to. It is the Lord who gives you the power to get wealth. That's not just the strength to work, but the ideas to make business. I'm holding on to that promise, Lord. There's been a closed door. Turnovers drop, but you give me the power to keep going and to come up with ideas to meet customers' needs. Hmm? Come on now. Proverbs chapter 3 also encourages us because some promises have conditions. Watch this. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be full to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. But notice there's a condition. You can't spend your vat on your car when you run a business and you take unemployment fund from your employees, you can't spend it. Then you expect God to cause you. No, no. They're promises, but they've got conditions. And a lot of promises have got conditions. Fulfill the conditions and you can hold on to the promise. But God can give you the power to do it. You say, others seem more blessed than me. 
Or Matthew 6.33 says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you as well. Very simple. Is this helping anyone this morning? Someone might say, I feel Satan has got me. John chapter 10, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can stretch them away from me. Now, you might feel the devil's got you, but the promise says he hasn't. Am I making sense? You might feel today you've sinned once too many times. Anyone ever feel that? I know their promises, but ooh, gosh, this has been a week, eh? I think my, I think my, my, my debit is so high, there can't be credit. 1 John 1, 9. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. And this is the one many of us feel I am so stupid at times. Well, the Bible tells me in James, hmm, if you need wisdom, ask God. Ask our generous God. He will give it to you. Can you see no matter what you feel, no matter what you're going through, you need to hold on to the promises of God. Because there's a promise for every contrary circumstance that God has prescribed. And if we take it, we get health and healing for our lives. Don't just know it, use it. Are you being helped? Number five. Now, this is not about South Africa. This is not about sexuality. This is not new age. But number five is always remember the rainbow. Always remember the rainbow. You say, what do you mean? Well, you know, the rainbow is a physical sign of God's faithfulness to his promises. When you see a rainbow... You need to remember that God made a promise. Notice in the book of Genesis chapter 9. And God said, this is after the flood. This is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant, an agreement, a promise for all generations to come. I've set my rainbow in the clouds. And it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Now watch this. Watch this. Because this is what you need to apply. Watch what he says. Whenever... I bring clouds over the earth. Just look up for a moment and pause with me. Do you know that sometimes clouds will come? Sometimes God allows clouds. They obscure the promises. He says, look for the rainbow. Look for the rainbow. Don't look at the clouds. Because the clouds will make you fear that the earth's going to be flooded. But you need to look at the rainbow. Look at the rainbow. Because he says, when I bring clouds over the earth... And the rainbow appears in the clouds. I'll remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all of life. He doesn't say I'm going to remember because I've forgotten. What he's saying, it's there to remind you. Now, four things as we come to a close about a rainbow. Are you ready? You say, oh gosh, what can a rainbow teach me? Just close in prayer. Watch. Number one. The rainbow is a sign of God's promises. It's a physical reminder that God is not just a promise-making God, but He's a promise-keeping God. And you need to look at the rainbow every time you see it on the earth and tell yourself, God is faithful. God is faithful. He's a promise-maker and a promise-keeper. But number two, you never find a rainbow unless it's a stormy day. You see, we want the promises of God, but then we don't want the rain. no. When the rain and the storms come, that's when you see the rainbow. It's not before the rain or before the storm. It's straight after in case fear has entered your heart. 
So when circumstances are going wrong and God allows the clouds in life, the cloudy circumstances to come, that's when you need to look for the rainbow and say, amen, God is faithful. Are you with me? Now you might wanna write this down. The Hebrew word for rainbow is bow of war. Bow of war. So here's number three. Hold that thought. Here's number three. The rainbow means God is not at war with us anymore. Why is he not at war with us? Well, do you notice that the bow of war points upwards? God is saying that this bow of war is not aimed at you, even though you deserve it. I've aimed it at my precious son in heaven who took the punishment. I've not made war with you. I've made war on him so that you can enjoy my promises. Every time you see the rainbow say, God's not at war with me, he warred with his son so that I could go free. I'm holding onto the promises. And number four, the rainbow means this. The rainbow means God's promises are eternal. God's promises are eternal. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter four and verse two and three. The apostle John, he looks up into heaven. He says, at once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Ruby a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Can you see that God's promises are not just something he says, but something he is? And that right into eternity at the throne of God, there will always be a rainbow to remind us that God warred on his son so that we could enjoy favor. And every time you look at the rainbow, you realize God's faithful. God loves me. God's given me his promises. I need to apply them to my life. I need to deal with fear. They're as regular as the seasons. You can count on them. I'm gonna pray them into my life. I'm gonna prescribe them every time I have some kind of condition, but I'm not gonna miss out on the promises of God. Can you say amen? As I close this morning, before I hand over to Pastor Dev in Santon, I wanna tell you about Robert Manning. He bought a Powerball ticket and he put it in his wallet and he didn't know he had it. For two weeks, he had the winning ticket and it was worth 14.4 million. But just by chance, he opened his wallet and he began to take out all the receipts and little invoices because it was getting full and that's when he discovered the ticket. The winnings were his, but he hadn't made the effort or remembered that he had the ticket. So while it was his, he had not claimed the winnings until he actually used the ticket to get his winnings. I believe Christians are like that. We've got the winnings, but we have not got the ticket because we've not opened the word and availed ourselves of it. Isn't that true? It's time we dug in our wallets, which is the word of God, and discovered the winning tickets and prescribed them to our lives. I'm gonna pray for you in a moment. But I want to tell you about Robert Blum. He is a Holocaust survivor who lived to 97. He was the oldest. He just recently passed away. The oldest living survivor of the Holocaust. And when he died at 97, he left behind an inheritance of 580 million rand. Serious amount of money. However, he didn't leave a will and he doesn't have a living relative. So the money went to the state, the state he lives in in the States. That's why it's called the States, because there are many states. And this is what they said. 
They said in the article, Blam is now, Blam, Blams is now the largest unclaimed inheritance in the history of the state. You know, the minute I read that phrase, I thought to myself, no, it's not. The largest unclaimed inheritance in the history of the world are the promises of God, especially salvation through Jesus Christ. God has promised this rich inheritance through his son, but it's largely unclaimed. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.